Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio manager Darren Lekkerker joins the show today. For Canadian investors, Darren manages Fidelity North American Equity Class, is co-manager of Global Natural Resources Fund, and manages the equity sub-portfolio of Canadian Balanced Fund, among other mandates. Today, Darren joins host Pamela Ritchie for a look at North American equities, including where he is seeing opportunities and which sectors he is bullish on for the months ahead. The Bank of Canada raised its benchmark rate to 3.25%, which means Canadian monetary policy is now in the restrictive territory, meaning the range in which the interest rate will begin to suppress economic activity. Darren mentions how September is conference season, and he's been busy with conferences and CEO meetings. Among other topics today, Darren reflects on commodities, including copper and fertilizer, also currencies, railroads, what he's learned from managing during past periods of market volatility, and more. This podcast was recorded on September 7th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Darren, great to see you. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Pamela. It's nice to see you as well. Nice to see you. Glad to have you back joining us here to kick off September. Um, Okay, so we have to sort of begin a little bit with, we kind of know the direction of monetary policy. I mean, we've seen another action here today. But for North America, it's not so much an easy story, but we certainly don't have too many complications and where things are going and certainly what direction. The rest of the world is much more complicated, actually, on the monetary policy side of things. How does that make investing in North America better, worse, clearer? I don't know how you'd put it. Well, I'm really lucky because I'm focused on investing in North America in, in my funds. And so, you know, why, why do I say that? Well, look, like I think North America has a lot of natural advantages. It has it's food and energy independent for the most part. It's been a great, uh, it has great neighbors, right? And I think it's, it's uh, although, you know, there's different people have different political views, there's a very, very low chance of a violent conflict here. And then three, I also think it's a great source of innovation. And like, look, we've got some of the best universities, some of the best tech companies in North America, and also on the resource side, we've got some of the, the biggest, uh, most scalable uh, resource companies in oil and fertilizers and grain and mining. Um, so it's been a really great place to look for companies to invest in. Oh, it's sort of amazing. It's a, it's a very interesting time, too. And it does feel like September. I was noticing yesterday and even today, kids are back at school. It feels like things are getting serious again. And you are wearing actually a very nice looking tie. How come? Hey, thank you very much. So September for the, uh, my kids went back to school today, but September for um, the buy side is, uh, is conference season. And so I, I started this morning with, a, uh, with a, a bank's conference. I've already met with the uh, CEOs of two major Canadian banks, and I've got uh, an afternoon of that to, uh, to look forward to. So it's been 
you know, really interesting, some really good uh, learnings already this morning. I think tomorrow is insurance day, Friday is real estate, next week is the consumer uh, and energy conference, um, and so on and so forth. So I really look forward to it, getting a lot of updates on companies I own, making sure that they should be in the portfolio, and trying to see if I can find some new companies in there to, to add to improve the portfolio. It's a whole new season of in-person meetings. It's really interesting and, and kind of exciting. Okay, so what, you know, we spoke to a couple of CEOs. I just picked up on that of banks. What did they say? Let's yeah. start with financial. I like what you said about in-person meetings. And I totally agree with that. And I actually think I remember when I did my Fidelity training, I actually, I've been at the company 18 years now, but when I started, I did this Fidelity training and we had former uh, FBI agents like train us in, in conducting these meetings. And so I really do believe that by being in person in the room with someone else, you can get a little more, learn a little more about a company and a CEO. So I think, I think that the CEOs that I met with this morning were relatively uh, sanguine on the um, economy. I think they rightly pointed out that we're, and if we are entering a slowdown, we're doing so from a period of strength where you have extremely low unemployment and you have the consumer in a really good place where they have a really good balance sheet where they've accumulated some wealth during the pandemic. And so I think having said that, I think they are a little nervous. They do see that the economy, although still positive, is slowing a little bit. I think credit right now, one uh, CEO, as a quote, him said it's as clean as a whistle. So I think credit's really good. But I also think as an investor, it does mean that the banks are over-earning because I think eventually credit will normalize um, to more normal levels. And when it tends to normalize, it tends to sometimes move past the normal level. And so that that means that earnings would go lower. So I think for me, I've been looking at the banks. I think they're you know good long-term companies in Canada. They're an oligopoly. They earn outsized ROE. But I've been looking at them as a source of funds. Uh, and I think I would get more interested either when banks were at a cheaper valuation when they went closer to one times book value, or uh, we we do see credit normalize and we see the earnings estimates become uh, easier to achieve. I'm, I'm curious sort of from the overall, because you mentioned they were looking obviously at the sort of the macro picture, which which banks are obviously going to be very sensitive to. Ultimately, we do have the rising rate side of the story. But do you have a bit of a macro view? I mean, to many, it's it's pretty dire out there. Yeah. So, look, everyone's universally bearish. Right. And so sentiment's bad. The market's down, the PEs improved from like 20 times to, to 17 times. And there's there's reasons for that, right? I think that the economy's slowing. Uh, meanwhile, the central banks around the world are raising rates into a slowing economy. You've got a conflict in Europe, and you've got a zero COVID policy, which is hurting growth in China and, and Asia. Those are known. So I think from here, like I think we're gonna we're gonna grind along. Um, it's hard to, to see a major rally, um, like I, but I do think that earnings have been much more resilient than um, investors thought in the second quarter. And I, I do think the economy has been a little more resilient. And I do think that, as I mentioned, the multiples are not cheap at 17 times, but they're definitely cheaper and more attractive than they were. And there are select opportunities. And so I kind of think for me, I think it's somewhat neutral and my focus is much more on bottom up stock selection and owning the right companies. And so if I can just share an anecdote, last week I was actually on I was with my family. Uh, we were at uh, a family cottage north of Toronto. And I, I reread uh, one of Peter Lynch's books, Beating the Street. And in there, he talked about throughout every year of his career, there was always like reasons to be really bearish. And he talked about being on the, the Barron's round table and how people were always really bearish. And there was always a reason every year to be out. And it's kind of funny because I thought about my own career. And by the way, for those that don't know, P Peter Lynch 
um, managed the Fidelity Magellan Fund. He was a great manager, but he also managed it during one of the huge like bull markets, right? So like it definitely paid, like his point was, look, it really paid to be invested in the market and to own the right stocks um, it, because it's very, very difficult to time the macro. And I thought about my own career. So I was promoted, I've been, this is my 14th year as a diversified portfolio manager at Fidelity. And I was promoted in January of 2009, like right in the, the huge storm of the global oh, yeah. right the financial floor. crisis. And so there's many reasons um, not to own stocks. And 2010 and 2011, you had a lot of focus on the Southern European debt crisis. I think in, also in 2011, S&P downgraded uh, the U.S.'s like bond rating. In 2013, you had the taper tantrum, so on and, and so forth. But during that period from 2009 to now, it's been like a fantastic time to own stocks. And it's been a fantastic time to own the best stocks. That's really been my focus is on uh, bottom-up stock selection, although I do follow the macro. I do have macro opinions, but I try not to let it be the driver of the portfolio. And I'm really interested in your style of investing. You've spoken about it before, sort of a, you know, looking at things through a quality lens. Certainly, I, I think we've referenced your background before owning companies in a previous job. But just discuss the idea of quality and what quality has meant actually through the last sort of several months, sticking to your guns there. Yeah, I think it's been really topical, and I think it's been beneficial for performance. I think that high quality companies. Um, I think in the first quarter, I think they underperformed or they came down as the valuation compressed. But I think since then, we've seen a rally and more recently in high quality companies. And so, you know, why is that? I think one, I think their earnings are much more resilient to either uh, inflation or recession. They have pricing power. They're able to, to raise prices um, and they're able to uh, to get positive earnings and more and more stable earnings. Um, and so what are some of the things I look for? Number one, does this a high quality business? Does it have an economic moat, which is a, comp a competitive advantage. Is it is it widening? Hopefully you want it to widen over time. Does it have a high and rising ROE? Is management focused on increasing shareholder value? And is the valuation attractive? And I think it's not just important to think about those things. You also have to compare it to consensus. What do other people expect earnings to be? And we want to own the ones where we think that earnings power is materially higher than the consensus. And that's how you how you make money. And that's what we do. And one of the things I've been able to do over the past few months is when we do have these periodic market sell-offs like we're in one right now, is to look and find, hey, what are the quality companies that have been sold off here and where can I add to the portfolio to improve it? Great. Uh, let's talk about a few. We've talked about different areas, different sectors, sort of the transportation discussion, the rails, really, which crisscross all of North America, just like pipeline companies do. You like the rails, I think. I've been a longtime owner of the Canadian rails. I do like class one North American rails, and I do prefer Canadian rails in particular. And so, you know, why, like, why is that? One, I think these are, it's an oligopoly type business, right? It's hard to compete with a rail. And as a result, they're able to get pricing, right? All the North American rails have gotten very good pricing over the past 10 years, and particularly this year. The Canadian rails have actually done a really great job of also getting volume growth as well, so that you kind of win both ways on in terms of revenue. And, you know, why is that? I think the U.S. rails have had thermal coal be a big part of the volume, which has gone away, although this year it's kind of increased a little bit. Yeah, but I think in Canada, there has been, there is, there are, like going forward, there's several sort of good areas of growth. One is grain. I think we had a really poor grain harvest last year, and so there's less grain to move. This year, it's looking a little better. Grain is roughly, I think, our, at least for, depending on the rails, could be around 20% of the volume. So it's it's material. 
Two would be autos, right? Everyone knows about how autos have been hard to come by because there haven't been enough produced. So I think autos should recover and be a source of strength. Also intermodal. I think in particular that's benefited the Canadian Pacific Rail. They acquired a railway with East Coast port access and they've taken some share from the U.S. ports as there's been some gridlock in the U.S. The third way that all the rails have won has been margins. They've been able to increase their margins over time. So, I, you know, I really like the rails, in particular the Canadian rails, and I've, I've owned them for uh, a long time. That's really uh, interesting. There's something to do with Canadian rails being different. I guess they have just longer routes. Is that it as well? Yeah, you're absolutely right. They have a longer length of haul, and it makes on their intermodal business, it makes it harder for trucks to compete with them. But yeah, Canadian, Canadian rails and in general, North American class one rails have done very well um, over the past, you know, one, three, five, 10 years. But I, I think the outlook is still is still bright for rails. They're good, as I said, they're good businesses. I think for the, the CP rail, I think that they are uh, trying to get uh, competitive approval for a merger that will result in a lot of uh, synergies and, and faster earnings growth. It's a very well-managed company. I think you've got new management at the at the CN rail. I don't want to get too granular here, but I, I, I like the rails and I've owned them. The, uh, taking a look, we're putting your, your natural resources hat on uh, a little bit, because that's also uh, what you manage in the natural resources fund. I mean, we're looking at oil today at $83. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a question mark, sort of why exactly, but uh, we have seen oil obviously further. That's the oil story. There's a there's a broader energy story, obviously. What what do you like within natural resources? What what do you lean into? Right. So I think last time we we talked a lot about fertilizers, and I still I still yeah. like the fertilizers. Uh, and I think the story with fertilizers, like start with grain prices, corn and soybean prices. Corn prices are really high. Why is that? I think it's because inventories globally are really low, and it'll take two to three years to replenish those inventories for grain prices to fall to more normalized levels. As a result. Farmers are being incentivized to grow as much as they can. Uh, a key way they can do that is through fertilizers. And like, there's three types of fertilizers. I'll focus on nitrogen and on potash. In terms of potash, ma- like massive, massive supply restrictions due to sanctions against Belarus and Russia, which is a huge part of the global potash supply. Uh, and meanwhile, there's strong demand. So you have really high uh, prices, which is generating a lot of cash flow for these companies. Nitrogen is produced from natural gas. Europe historically has been an exporter, but because of very, very high uh, European natural gas prices due to the, uh, the I mean, it actually started before the conflict, but it's been exacerbated by the, by the conflict in Europe, has resulted in some shutdowns of nitrogen capacity, and it's producing really high nitrogen prices. So I think these companies are advantaged in their production they're producing a lot of cash flow. One of the big differences between this commodity cycle and the last cycle in the 2000s, I was actually a resource analyst in Boston for Fidelity at the time, was that the companies back then were taking the cash flow and they were investing it in sort of very expensive, long dated, risky, operationally and politically and financial return risky projects. And they were doing big M&A Whereas today, a lot of the, most of the companies, what they're doing is they're increasing the dividend, they're increasing the share buyback, they're giving it back to investors, which I think is really positive uh, for shareholder returns. So I, I still positive on the fertilizers. I think, you know, more broadly, taking a step back in resources, I think some of the key things are, you know, what happens to economic demand in the short term. And I think that's what some folks are concerned about. And that's probably why oil is, is 
come down a little bit as you as you mentioned in your question. But I think the key things on a medium term basis are there's massive supply uh, shocks, there's geopolitical issues in Europe, and I think medium term you have an energy transition as we transition from fossil fuels towards renewable energy, which really really benefits some metals like copper, but also steel, aluminum. Uh, and then more uh, smaller metals like lithium, and I think I think it also you know could restrict demand, but also supply on the energy side. It's fascinating. I mean, copper's had a rough go, maybe as you say, for all of those those same reasons on sort of the demand worries about demand anyway. But it seems to be a huge part of the energy transition story ultimately. So is, is that the area? If I were to say which part of the energy transition do you find interesting, would would it come down to sort of the commodity side of things? Yes, it, it would, because I, I can see a huge benefit there. You mentioned copper. It's a small part of the portfolio. And in the short term, I worry a little bit about demand in China. I do think that it looks better one year from now than it does today. I think in next month, President Xi will start his third term, which is unprecedented. I, uh, I think the market expects more stimulus to be economic stimulus to be announced for the Chinese economy, which would be beneficial. I think also market forecasters have predicted an end to the zero COVID policy in China next year, which has been holding back growth. So I think it looks more positive and it also benefits from the energy transition. There's a few mines coming on this year and next year in copper, but beyond that, it's hard to see the next large mines. Um, and it's hard to see people investing also due to geopolitical concerns, not only in Europe, but also in like countries like Chile, where it produces like 20, 25% of the world's copper. So I think that it, what it means is you should have demand exceeding supply in a few years, which would, I, I would expect to result in higher prices. I just wanted to go to sort of some other parts of the portfolio areas that you find of interest that, that are not necessarily in any way commodity driven, um, more services side of things. What, what's of interest is kind of within that quality or, or GARP description. Right. Okay. So within high quality, and so I just want to remind the viewers kind of what my mandates are. And so Fidelity North American Equity Fund, uh, the equity portion of Canadian Balance Fund, as well as some of the other Canadian funds, and then the Fidelity Global Natural Resource Fund. And so within the diversified funds, you know, I do own high quality companies and some resources because I've been bullish on resources for the past couple of years. Uh, and so on the higher quality portion of the portfolio, which tends to be the majority of the portfolio for the diversified. So we've talked about rails. I would say some of the other areas, you know, we talked about banks within financials, but another uh, two other areas that I own, I would say are insurance brokers, as well as uh, alternative investment companies like private equity companies. And so why insurance brokers? I think this is a phenomenal business. It's capital light, right? It's the broker. It's not the actual insurance company that writes the policy. So there's no sort of big capital requirement. They've had very uh, nice organic growth lately as premiums, insurance premiums have been rising. So have their brokerage fees and they've been able to have some operating leverage and increase margins as well. And there's been really attractive capital deployment areas. They, they haven't been that, they're not that cyclical either. So it's been a nice area of performance for the fund. And also alternative investments. I think this is a high return area. I think it's going to attract inflows. I think it's, you know, this, this year it's down a little bit, but I think that it has to do with rising discount rates and interest rates. And so I think that'll be an attractive area in the future. Some of the other areas are software. And like, so look, I think software's stocks primarily are down this year, but I think it's attractive and it's an area that we're, you know, really focused on. We're looking at companies that are down and, you know, why are they down? Do they have a great business? Do they have a great product? Do they have unit economics? Like I think that 
software is really important, right? In an inflationary world, software is deflationary. It increases productivity. The digital transformation of the world is not going to stop. It's going to keep going. And I think that where I'm investing is, is not in the very high growth, very high valuation area, but more in the sort of medium growth, high margin, like very profitable, lots of free cash flow area. And so, you know, very uh, interested there and continuing to add on sell-offs. A question that we'll often come across, and it's such a day for currencies. Oh, my goodness, today. Uh, so how do you manage currency as part of the process within the North American equity class fund? Right. So I, I haven't hedged it. Like my, my view is I like the exposure to the U.S. dollar when I own it just because it tends to be a less cyclical currency. So it kind of reduces that cyclicality of the portfolio. So, and I think the U.S. dollars outperformed the Canadian dollar this year. And so, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, two other things. I'll just slide them in really quick here. But on your high quality companies, two other areas that I found attractive are waste management companies, which really have very stable and resilient earnings, as well as information services companies, which are kind of like software companies, but it's a little different. They have really high margins, great opportunities to deploy capital and to. Uh, buying other competitors. Got it. Okay, fantastic. Um, so a couple other questions. The overall story of the health of the consumer. This is in Canada, sort of with the the rate backdrop. And then I'll just also add this in. You can hit maybe consumers and then this. This is Europe and energy. The discussion of more LNG leaving our country, heading to Europe. Do what do you hear around that conversation, if anything? I'll answer the second one first because it's a quick answer. I think it's hard to increase it because. We need more pipelines, and the country's not really permitting more pipelines, so it's difficult to to help out. I think we have lots of natural gas, but we lack the pipelines. Um, on the first on the first question, so I think within the consumer, I've, I've been a little cautious on the consumer, just with rising rate, it hurts demand a little bit. I think we've seen some weakness, more so in the lower end consumer, more so in the U.S. and Canada. Canada's had the delayed opening, so we're, we are still seeing strength. Look, I've got big positions in the dollar stores which have been like attractive investments. I think there's a lot of attractive idiosyncratic things going on. I think when they raise prices, it helps add more revenues. It adds, it, it's also margin positive. So I think that's, it's a, again, it's a high quality business that can really increase earnings just through raising the prices, adding new stores and increasing margins over time. Does it feel like sort of an exciting time at this time? Because as, as we sort of started out saying, there's a lot of, things to be dire about. But at the same time, there's a lot of getting back to things that makes you wonder if, if all companies aren't going through sort of a little bit of an evolution right now. Yeah, it's really important uh, in the investing business to just keep like a kind of moderate sort of steady temperament, right? And not get too sort of emotional with the highs and lows of, of the market. And that, that's what I try to do to my, myself. And so I'm just really trying to focus and find good companies. So I think when we see market sell-offs. You know, I'm looking at those companies that are selling off. And so two of the areas that I'm, I am looking for where companies are down a lot and already pricing in negative, a negative scenario um, are consumer discretionary uh, as well as technology, which I think are two uh, attractive long-term areas. And there are some definitely some higher quality companies on sale in both those areas. It's fascinating. And anything else that you want to talk a little bit about? I mean, it, it was... One of the things I was going to ask is just sort of if you can bring us back to the positioning, like just give us a, a snapshot of, of the positioning of the fund. So, again, just very broadly, if North American Equity Fund, it's mostly in high quality companies and resources within high quality companies. Some of the larger areas are 
software, industrial companies within industrials, it's rails, information services, and uh, waste management companies. Uh, there's some aerospace companies in there which benefit from a resumption of airline uh, travel. I think some of the within resources, I would say, would be fertilizers uh, and energy. I think that's a good sort of broad snapshot picture. Yeah. Okay, so you're going back to the conversation. Healthcare, too. I didn't mention healthcare. There's some healthcare, life sciences and tools and, and insurance within healthcare. Okay. We'll say hi to all the bank CEOs for us. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thank you for everyone that listened. I really appreciate it. And for those of you that are uh, invested in the fund, I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I am working really hard to uh, manage the portfolios the best I can. Thank you very much. Great. Darren Lecker-Kirker, thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.